But I don't want to keep you too terribly long. Uh, Psalms chapter number 92. And I said, I don't want to. It doesn't mean that I won't, okay? Uh, but at least my intentions are good. It is glad that we are glad to have the Farbers with us this morning. And Dakota. We're going to mention her. I'm not going to forget about her. Uh, so boy, you just grown up this morning. Glad to have her and her family with us. And it's always good to have some of our people back home, isn't it? Uh, good to be back together and glad to hear what the Lord's doing with them there. Uh, uh, all out west. You know, Brother Nate told me that he knew them uh, while he was up there. I did not know that. And as always, everybody knows everybody but me. Uh, you know, I thought we brought in a new guy that he would be like me, not knowing anyone, but come to find out he knows more people here than I do. Uh, but that just means we have to spend more time together getting to know each other. Psalms 92, if you're there, let's stand together. Look down, if you will, toward the end of the passage. We're going to begin in verse number 12. Psalms chapter number 92, look down to verse 12. We're going to read to the end of the chapter today. The Bible says, Psalms 92, verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Now, for those of you that don't have a life verse, verse 14 would be a great one for you to adopt. It's scriptural that when you get old, notice, old age, they shall be fat and flourishing. So there you go, right there. You have a wonderful excuse. Number one, look, if you're a little on the heavy side, you're not flat. You're f flourishing. And you can tell your doctor that that's scriptural. And just take him to Psalms 92, verse 14. Verse 15, to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Boy, there's some great truths in there this morning. I believe the Lord would have us to have. So let's pray and ask him to help us unravel them this morning. Father God, thank you for the privilege to be back in your house today. Thank you, Lord, for our people that are here today, those tuning in on live stream, and then for our visitors that we have. Thank you so much for that. I pray that you'd help us today as we preach. Give us the grace and the boldness to say exactly what you'd have us to say. I pray most of all, there's one here today who doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home. They've yet to trust Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. I pray they'd come to know him today before it's eternally too late. And Lord, I just pray you'd help all of us, Lord, to receive and respond to the message as you would see fit for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Obviously, being Grandparents Day today, uh, I have been thinking a lot about my grandparents, being very nostalgic uh, in my thoughts throughout the entire week, and uh, I had the privilege to know all four of my grandparents. Uh, those are my biological grandparents uh, all throughout ministry. As Brother Nate mentioned a while ago with Miss Lynn, I've had a lot of adopted grandparents that I'm thankful for, uh, always being a blessing to us as we have grown up and gone throughout the years in ministry there with my parents. Uh, I was thinking a lot this week about the memories that I have with my grandparents. Uh, I'll not take all of the service sharing you uh, all of those, but I do have a few that I thought about this morning. I remember as a, and later in life as a teenager in my early 20s, I used to go to my dad's, uh, dad's house and we would watch the World Series together. Uh, in my summers as a kid, I would go to Florida uh, where my grandfather lived in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, and I would trim palm trees with him and uh, learn to work uh, many summers there in Panavidra Beach with my grandfather, and I'm thankful for the influence of him teaching me how to sweat, uh, and that it's okay to sweat, and it's okay to get calluses on your hands. Uh, most of my memories with my grandmothers involve food. 
Uh, and now you know me long enough to know that a lot of my life revolves around food. I eat not just for sustenance, I eat for, for fun, and I eat for satisfaction. That's just something I enjoy doing is eating, and uh, not because my parents didn't feed me, but I would often find myself walking to my grandmother's house to eat. She lived at the end of the dirt road, and uh, although my parents would feed me, my grandmother would give me what I wanted when I wanted it. I think we could always, uh, as grandchildren, relate to that one for sure. One of my favorite delicacies as a young man was to walk to my grandmother's down at the end of the road, and Mama always had craft singles uh, in her refrigerator, and I would take out a craft single, put it on a plate, pop it in the microwave, and microwave it till it was nice and gooey, and then I would eat it with a spoon. And Mama would let me eat just about as many of those as I wanted to. I think the statute of limitations is up, and so now my mother can know the truth, that I would walk down there to eat Mama's cheese. Papa used to have that, he called it hoop cheese, you know, uh, that cheese that comes in a wedge with the red rind on it. Papa would get it uh, on the dash of his truck and get it nice and melty and warm, and that's where I learned my love for cheese was from my grandparents. Uh, later in life, my dad's uh, mom would move up here to Mississippi, and she always had Milky Ways at her house. She bought them in bulk, and I I always enjoyed stopping by there on my way back from work uh, just to get a little sugar pick-me-up because she always had food. And I'm sure we could go around the room this morning talking about all the memories we have with our grandparents, whether biological or maybe the grandparents that God allowed us to adopt along the way. But every one of us this morning can surely look back in our life and find different ways that not only we have memories with our grandparents, but we have the influence of our grandparents. Uh, you ever wonder where I got my Disney craze from? It was from my grandparents. My dad's dad, mom and dad, took them to Disneyland in California, and my mom's mom and dad would take us to Disney World in Florida. It was just ingrained in us from an early age. That's where it came from. As a matter of fact, I have a picture this morning I'll show you of where it all began. That dashing, debonair young man right there, that is myself. And that's where it all started in my life because of my grandparents. My dad's family and my mom's family, they would take us down to Disney. I'll never forget, my papa would take us down to Disney World. And, uh, you know, mom and dad don't want you taking money from your grandparents a lot. And so we'd stop at a gas station on the way down uh, to Orlando. And my mom's dad, papa, we would be in the gas station together. And he'd get off in the corner and he'd pull out his wallet. I knew what was coming. He'd pull out his wallet, and behind his driver's license, he would keep a $100 bill, okay? Now, I don't do that, so I didn't learn that from my grandfather. I don't have any, so don't come up to me after the service asking for one. And he'd pull that out, and he'd put it in our hand. He says, look, here's you some spending money for Disney World. One of my great memories, going down to Disney World with my grandfather, he would usually slip us a $100 bill just to buy junk with. But amidst all of those memories that I have of my grandparents, it's really the influence that mattered most. Growing up, getting to know them and the influence they had on my life is probably one of the greatest gifts that I can look back to at the blessing they were to me. Now, you know, influences are very tricky. Influences are very volatile because you're doing it even when you don't realize you're doing it. You think about that. You know, you're an influence even when you don't realize you're influencing people. And there were times in my grandparents' life they had no idea that they were influencing me. There was a teacher one time gave a paper to her, I think it was her second grade class, and asked them, what is a grandparent? And here are some of the replies. One of the kids wrote, grandparents are a lady and a man who have no children of their own. They just like other people's kids. <laughs> one kid wrote, a grandfather is a man-grandmother. 
Remember, these are second graders writing this. One kid wrote, grandparents don't have anything to do except be there when we come to see them. They are so old, they shouldn't play hard or run. It is good if they drive us to the store and have lots of quarters for us. One kid wrote, when they take us for walks, they slow down past things like pretty leaves and caterpillars. One child was amazed because he says they can take their teeth out. One child wrote, they know we should have snack time before bedtime, and they say prayers with us every time and kiss us even when we acted bad. One child even wrote this. He was asked where his grandmother lived. He says, oh, she lives at the airport. The teacher says, well, how do you know she lives at the airport? He says, well, when we want to see her, we just go to the airport, and there she is. When we get tired of seeing her, we take her back to the airport and leave her there. I hope somebody straightened him out on that. Someone once said the reason grandparents and grandchildren get along so well is they have a common enemy. It's the parents. Oftentimes that is truly the case. I think we would all be amazed this morning if we thought about it throughout the course of our day, how many things we do and a lot of the character traits we have are a direct influence of our grandparents. Hopefully most of them are good. Now you're saying this morning, what does that have to do with us that are here? Most of us are not grandparents. But I want you to think about this this morning. In the end, the Christian life truly is nothing less than a matter of influence. Matthew chapter 5, what did Jesus say we're supposed to be? Ye are light and ye are salt, correct? You know what both of those are? They are influencers, He says, I want you to be salt and I want you to be light in this world. I want you to go out and I want you to influence the world. And so we can learn a lot about influence this morning just by looking at our grandparents. The truth of the matter is this morning, there's something in society today called social influencers. Have you heard of those? Social influencers, people who have a lot of followers on Instagram and Facebook, uh, and they push products for people, and they make a living for that. But the truth of the matter is, the Christian is supposed to be the social influencer of the entire world. Why? Because we're called to be salt and light. But unfortunately, this morning, we're not doing our job. Why? Because here's the problem. We'll get into the message this morning. In order to be an influence for something, you're going to have to be faithful to it. In order to be influential in an area, you're going to have to be faithful in that area. My grandparents took me to Disney World so many times in my life, it became part of our DNA, and by God's grace, I'm going back next week. Going to have fun. Why? It's part of who we've become. It's part of the Andrews family tradition that we love going to Disney World. What happened? I was influenced by my grandparents because they were faithful to it over time. Now, folks, we've got to understand this morning, if we're going to be influential Christians in the world that our God has left us, we're going to have to learn to be faithful to the things that God has called us to be influential in. Do you know most of the influential people in this church are people that have been here for a while? You know, there's people in this church who've been here longer than I've been alive. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel old, but that's just the truth. You've been here longer than I've been alive. I go seek counsel from those. Why? Because they're people that have lasted. Now, folks, if we're going to be influential as our grandparents influenced us, and we be influential in the world that we're living in, we've got to learn how to last. We've got to learn to have some stickum and to be faithful to the things of God, to be faithful to who God's called us to be in order to influence the world that God's called us to reach. Now, in, in Psalms 92 this morning, we're going to say a very, very simple lesson 
on how that God would have us to learn how to last. How that God would have us to learn how to stick around a while and be a part of the will of God and not be blown about with the winds of doctrine. And this morning, if we could learn this lesson on lasting, I believe we could become influential just as our grandparents have influenced us. So this morning, let's look at this lesson in lasting. If we could, pick up in verse number 12. I'll hurry if you can listen in a hurried way. I heard a preacher say one time, I, I got up to preach, and before I did, he says, I says, look, I want you to know I talk fast. He says, well, look, you talk fast and we'll listen fast. He said, you keep up with the Holy Spirit, we'll keep up with you. So I'll do my best if you will. Verse 12, the Bible says the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Now, this is important to notice the example he's giving us. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Now watch what's happening here. He shows us in verse number 12 where all of this begins. Look, it's important that we begin right. If we want to learn how to last so that we can be that influential people that God's called us to be, we've got to start right. You know that's why Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child. It's a lot easier to train up a child than to train up an adult. I can tell you that because I've been a youth pastor and I've been a pastor and it's a whole lot easier to train the little ones than to train the big ones. That's why you start by training them up in the way that they should go. Now, the way that we should start is in verse 12. It shows us the main ingredient. The Bible says the what? The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Now, I want you to notice this morning at the end of verse number 14, the Bible says here is this tree. It is old and yet it's still being fruitful. Here is this tree, it's in the later part of its life, and yet it's continuing to produce fruit, it is continuing to be influential. But it didn't start there. Verse number 12 says this, notice number one this morning. Notice their priority. Their priority is in verse 12 where the Bible says they are righteous. The key to those old trees in verse number 12 and 14 who have a lasting influence is they put a priority on righteousness. Now, folks, this is important today. If we don't get this bedrock principle about how those trees are still producing fruit in their old age, they are still being influential. If we don't get that, we're not going to be influential and we're not going to bear fruit. And the Bible says in verse number 12, they were righteous. Now, this is important. Notice, if you will, who they were determined what they did. They were righteous, therefore they produced fruit. Now, don't misunderstand this this morning. You'll never last for the Lord if you don't first learn how to live for the Lord. This is important. Folks, a lot of us this morning would love to have a lasting testimony that not only influences our children, but have a testimony that influences our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, but we will not have a lasting influence until we learn to live for the Lord. We've got to get about the business of once again exalting righteousness in this country if we desire this country to become exalted by God again. Folks, is there one of us this morning that doesn't, doesn't agree that it was God who raised up America? We all believe that. It was Almighty God in his hand that raised up America. But think about that. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 34, it's righteousness that exalts a nation. America was raised up by God to be the most influential country that has ever graced this planet. 
And this, this country that God has exalted influenced the world with the gospel. Look, we've influenced the world with everything, haven't we? Coca-Cola, McDonald's. You cannot go to any part of this world and not find Coke or McDonald's. Why? Because America was an influential force. We spread the gospel all over this world. But what was it that raised us up? It was righteousness. Now, folks, what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about learning to last, that we could influence the generations that come behind us, that verse 14, in our old age, we are still producing fruit. How do we get there? We've got to have a priority on righteousness. Let me give you an example. In in Job, I seemingly talk about Job all the time, but I love Job. I believe the testimony of Job is still influencing lives today. Would you agree? I mean, how often do we talk about the patience of Job? Job is still influencing. Why? Watch closely. Job chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says there was a man, I say from us, my wife says from ooze. We'll just agree to disagree. The Bible says that man was perfect, upright, he feared God, and he eschewed evil. Do you know why Job was able to last in order to be an influence with his life and testimony? Job was righteous. He was righteous. Now, folks, listen to me this morning. There's no way we're going to last to produce fruit in our old age that those who come behind us find the path that they could follow. There's no way we're going to become who God's called us to be and be that salt and light if we don't get to the place where we, like Job, make a priority of righteousness. Look, I know it's an old-fashioned term, but it's still just as new and important to God as it ever was. And the reason that Job lasted and Job was influential is because Job was righteous. Now, if we don't get this this morning, I hate to tell you something. You can leave behind all the money and prestige and leave behind a name and lights for your grandchildren, but they'll not last either if they don't learn how to be righteous. Why? It's righteousness that exalts a nation. I think about Daniel, one of our favorite characters from Sunday school. Daniel influenced an entire nation for God. He influenced an entire nation for God. Do you know why? Because he lasted. He lasted. Look, when the persecution got tough, Daniel lasted. How did he do that? How did Daniel last in a corrupt society yet standing for God? How did he do that? Go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Do you know why Daniel was influential? Because he lasted. Do you know why he lasted? Because he was righteous. He says, I purpose in my heart. I'm not going to defile myself. Folks, look, righteousness is not an accident. You're not accidentally going to become righteous. Can I tell you what's going to happen? You will accidentally become unrighteous. You Listen, you'll only become righteous on purpose by making a priority as Daniel did. Now, here's the beautiful picture. Both in Job and in Daniel... It was in chapter 1. It was in chapter 1. Look, if you want to last for God, everybody wants to be like Daniel. I wish God would use me to influence an entire world. Hey, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? But you've got to go back to chapter 1. And you've got to make a priority of living by the will and the word of God in your life and in your heart and in your home if you have any chance of lasting and becoming the influence that God's called you to. Now, folks, this is serious this morning. Do you know why our country has lasted this long? You go back to our founders. Patrick Henry said this. 
Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. Our founders got it. The reason America became the influential force around the world is because we believed in righteousness. By the way, not just a bumper sticker righteousness. I'm talking about deep down inside. John Adams says we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Do you know what he's saying there? There's no way on earth our government can corral wickedness. There's no way. He said, well, America is going to be good because America has a great constitution. Our constitution, as great as it is, cannot corral immorality and wickedness. It says unbridled by morality and religion. That's the only thing. He goes on to say, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What does it mean? It means we're not going to influence and we're not going to last if we're not righteous. Now, the Bible's showing us these trees. It shows us a palm tree and it shows us a cedar tree. And yet we see in verse 14, in their old age, they're still producing fruit. Why? Because they made a priority. These people made a priority to live by the will and the word of God. Now, folks, this is simple. But the only hope for America is that God's people get back to making a priority of righteousness. We love to quote 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked ways. That's righteousness. If we want America to be uplifted, we're going to have to do what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Notice the end of that verse. We are shining as lights in a crooked and a perverse world. How are we doing that? That you may be blameless and harmless. What does that mean? It means the only way that we can shine to be the influence that God's called us to be is to live righteously. Look, it was never our constitution that exalted us. It was our belief in the word of God that righteousness alone would exalt this nation. And that's the only thing that's going to save it now. That God's people get back to the place where we believe the word of God is true, that right is right, wrong is wrong, and sin still matters to God. But our problem this morning is we believe we can dig out of this hole with our intelligence, our finances, and our laws. It's never going to happen. Never. Look, you cannot legislate morality. Why? Morality begins in here. It begins in here. Now, pay close attention. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. It begins in here. You see, righteousness is designed to seep out, not soak in. I think we miss that a lot. Remember, look, righteousness begins in the heart. That's where change takes place. Look, if you don't get saved in here, all you do is clean up the outside. It's never going to soak in enough on the inside. For with the heart, and the problem with the church today is our hearts, listen, are still the same. We're not allowing God to change our heart. We clean up the outside and we slap on a bumper sticker, but we're still just as vile and wicked as we've always been. We need a change of heart. You know, that's why the Pharisees never could figure it out. The Pharisees had their nice robes and their cloaks. They probably had nice perfume. They probably had a smile better than Joel Osteen's. And they probably were looking good. And yet, what did Jesus say? He said, you're like a whited sepulcher. You got the outside all cleaned up. Now, look, I'm not against cleaning up the outside. 
You clean up the inside, let it, watch, seep out to the outside. You remember that demoniac that got saved in the book of Mark? Man, running through the tombs naked, and all of a sudden, they find him sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Mind? Watch this. It changed his actions. It changed his appearance. And it changed his attitude. There's your three-point outline right there. All right? He's sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. What happened? He had a change of heart. All of a sudden, he was made righteous from the inside out, and it affected all of his entire life. Now, folks, if America and the Church of America this morning would have a true change of heart, it would flow out of your heart into your life and into our world. We can't just clean up the outside and hope that's going to fix America. Number one, number one, the first lesson in learning how to last, notice the priority in verse number 12, was simple. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. You're spending uh, my summers in Florida. Uh, several times we cut down palm trees. And uh, the first time my grandfather cut down a palm tree, I saw the inside of it. I never knew what one looked like. And I have a picture I'll show you here this morning. Uh, the inside of a palm tree is very fibrous. Very fibrous. It doesn't have a heart like we have in our pine trees down here. It's just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of little hairs that are there. And those palm trees there on the beach, they blow with the hurricanes. They're beaten by the wind. They're battered by the wind. And they blow back and forth. And yet they remain. Why? Because at their core, they're strong. They're strong from the inside out. Now, folks, the Bible's showing us the way that we become one of those palm trees that last when we're beaten and battered by the winds of doctrine uh, and the fads of change in our world, the way that we last and remain, you've got to have it on the inside. That's how a palm tree lasts. And yet here in the South, we have these great big old oak trees. My wife's family had one in their front yard when the hurricane moved through last year. And we're walking around their yard, and we saw this massive, massive oak tree just blown over. And I saw something interesting. I took a picture. I want to show it to you. This was the bottom of the oak tree uh, in my in-law's yard. This massive, big, good-looking, living oak tree was just blown over. If you'll notice in the center of the picture, the center of that root mass, there's a hole. I climbed up there and got to looking at it. That oak tree is hollow. There's nothing on the inside. On the outside, it looked tall. And strong. It looked like it could weather Hurricane Camille all over again. But it was blown over because it was hollow on the inside. Now, folks, look, you can clean up the outside all you want and make the outside look good all you want. But the only thing that's going to change America and the only way that's going to help you to last enough, long enough to be an influence, it's got to begin in here. So notice number one, if we're going to learn the lesson of how to last, we're going to have to make a priority out of righteousness. Now, keep reading verse 13. The Bible says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Now, the second thing is right there in front of us in verse 13. It shows us the key to having a lasted influence. And the Bible says these were not just potted plants that you move from place to place. In our house, we have this blue spruce. Is that what that is, a blue spruce? We bought it in Montana. We thought, what a great souvenir. Let's just buy a tree. It seemed like a great idea at the moment. The tree even had its own seat belt all the way back down. We imported that. We probably brought some kind of disease out there with that. It was probably illegal. So if all of a sudden some beetles just destroy our trees, you'll know it was me who brought them here. But we got it in our house, and it's in this pot. And that thing is so cantankerous. 
It'll start dropping its little needles on the floor. I guess it's telling me it wants water. And so I'll pick it up and I'll carry the pot and I'll set it outside, let it rain on it for a little while, and then I'll take it back in the house. And then all of a sudden it'll start looking like it's losing its color. Evidently it likes sunlight too. And so then I'll pick it up, I'll move it outside, put it back out there, let it get some sunlight and bring it back in. I'm just about that close to letting it die, to be honest with you. I'm tired of moving that thing back and forth, in and out, back and forth. Can I tell you, that's the way a lot of us are as Christians. We're high-maintenance Christians. Do you know why? Because we're not rooted. We're not rooted. We're not grounded. Now, look at verse 13. The Bible says, those that be what? Planted. Planted. If you want to last and have influence into your old days, what did verse 14 say? They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. If we want to have influence, even in our old age, number one, our priority has got to be righteousness. But notice number two, notice something about these trees. They're planted. They're planted. Now, I love the emphatic wording here. Notice what it says. Those that are going to last are what? Those that be planted. If you want to last to influence the generation even all the way to your old age, you've got to have a priority, and it's got to be righteousness. Number two, you've got to be planted. You've got to learn to be planted. You think about the, inst- uh, the uh, influential institutions in America. The first one I thought of was Coke. Now, I'm a huge fan of Coke Zero, so I'm very disappointed that they changed the flavor. Why couldn't they leave it alone? It was good. If you find the Coke Zeros in the black cans, I'll give you a dollar finder's fee, okay? Because those new red ones are nasty. I even took the time. My wife asked me the other night. I was sitting on the couch. She says, what are you typing so feverishly? I said, I'm emailing Coke. (laughs) Look, pandemic's already going on. You know, political crisis, all the, the last thing I need you to do is change my drink, okay? That's what, besides coffee, Coke Zero gets me through And then they wouldn't change it for a new and improved flavor. I'm a little bit, it's not improved. It goes flatter quicker, all right? Y'all help me start a petition, all right? Let's get a GoFundMe or one of those campaigns together to change Coke Zero back to what it needs to be. But you think about Coke this morning. The influential institutions of America, do you know why they're influential? Because they're rooted. They stuck around. Now, folks, if you want to be influential, not just, listen, not just your family and your grandchildren, if you want to be salt and light to the world, you're going to have to learn to be planted. Those that are influential are those that be planted. I was in Africa many years ago preaching, and uh, we're going through this town. We left Kampala and Uganda. We're going through this town, and lo and behold, I was shocked to see the golden arches on the horizon. I mean, there's, I don't even know they had electricity on the sign. You know, I don't even know if they had electricity out there. But McDonald's had already made it to the deepest, darkest reaches of Africa. This is sad, but it's true. I saw McDonald's and Joyce Meyer flyers there. Joyce Meyer, her flyer was on a mud hut in the middle of Africa. Not the kind of influence I think America needs to be in. But McDonald's was there. Do you know why McDonald's is so influential? They're rooted. My family and I have been watching this show called The Food That Built America. You know, I like to know about the food that I eat. You know who came up with it? And look, food is cutthroat. I mean, do you know some guys burned down the factory uh, when they were trying to come up with uh, Kellogg's cornflakes? 
I mean, these guys are fighting. Post and Kellogg's are fighting. They burned down their factory. Who knew that cereal could be so exciting? Uh, I mean, these guys are fighting back and forth. And finally, Kellogg won out. And Kellogg now, listen, he's all over the world. Why? Because he became rooted. He wasn't moved. He stayed planted. Now, this is why the church is not influential. Do you know why? We're not planted. We hop along. We have a fad-based faith, I believe. You know what a fad is? It's like a fashion that comes and goes. I think we should call those kind of Christians bell-bottom believers. Why? Because you come in style and then go out of style. Look, you folks, you folks who lived in the 70s who helped bring that about, I think you're going to have to give an account to God for the horrible fashion sense. But they're going to come back sooner or later. Why? Because fashion ebbs and flows. It's sad, but that describes a lot of the church today. We're like bell-bottom believers. We're going to come, look, our faith is going to come back in fashion. It's going to come back in style. But here's the problem. All the while, you're not influential. Why? Because you're not planted. We've got to learn to find where God would have us to stand and just stay put there. No matter the winds of doctrine may blow, no matter the fads of society may come, we're going to stand on what thus saith the Lord. Why? Because that's where we want to be found when he comes back. I don't know about you. I want to be found standing where he left me to stand, not having moved because of a fad of faith that blew through our area. One of my favorite places to go, uh, I got to go several years ago. One of my favorite places to read about, I got to go there several years ago, and that was in San Antonio, Texas. I got to go to the Alamo. And uh, word for the wise, don't touch the walls. Okay, they take that very serious. I reached out to stick my finger in a bullet hole on the wall. They don't like when you do that. And so I just saved you some trouble that I got into while I was there. But while you're there, you can't help but think about those great American patriots. Just a few of them there, surrounded by Santa Ana. Help's not coming. And yet they just stood firm. They stood firm. Do you know what? They're still influencing. They're still influencing. Why? They were rooted. They didn't wave the white flag. They didn't give up because they were outnumbered. They didn't give up because the force was superior to theirs. They said, no, we believe in what we're doing. And they didn't move. And they lasted. And they were influential. Now, folks, if we only had the heart of those people for the things of God, that you know what? This is what thus saith the Lord. We're not going to change it to fit us. We're not going to change it to fit society. We're not going to change it so our kids are accepted by the world. No, we're just going to stay rooted and we're going to stay planted. Why? Because I want to last to influence future generations with the fruit of my life. I told my wife, I, I don't look forward to dying anytime soon, okay? So don't get any ideas. I like living. I'd love to go to Disney World next week, okay? So don't, uh, don't take a pot shot at me. But I told my wife the other day, what a blessing it would be to know that after I'm gone, my daughter stands where I taught her to stand. You know, that when I go join that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12, listen, if the Lord would allow me to know that my daughter is standing where I taught her to stand, oh, how wonderful it would be to know that, look, that influences keep going. Why? Because there was a time in daddy's life where dad decided, you know what, I'm going to make a priority of righteousness and I'm going to stay planted. It's not popular doesn't feel good when you're in the minority of the group just trying to do what thus saith the Lord, but I assure you one day it's going to pay off. If you want to be like these palm trees and these cedar trees, 
that lasts and have influence, you're going to have to stay planted. Look at verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Do you know why the three Hebrew boys influenced the nation? They stayed planted. They weren't going to be moved. Do you know why Paul influenced the known world still to this day? Acts chapter 20, he says, but none of these things move me. Paul says, no, thank you. I'm going to stay planted. What a blessing it would be for all of our teenagers that are here this morning to make up their mind. I'm going to stay planted. You ought to decide together, hey, why don't we stay planted together? Instead of being that lonely palm tree out there, why don't we be a grove of palm trees staying planted? Why? Because we want to be influential and we want to last. Number two, what is it about those that last? Well, they have a priority, but then notice they are planted. Verse 14, the Bible says, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Now, verse 14 shows us they aren't just there. The Bible says they're bearing fruit. Even in their old age, that's the third thing. Notice they produce. If you want to have influence, you're going to have to last. And the way you do that is you learn to be a fruit producer. They produce. There was a guy who worked for us years ago. Dad, I can't remember what his name was. Uh, But we called him affectionately Jelly Belly. He He was old age. He was flourishing. That's why we called him that. I can't remember what that guy's name was, but he's in heaven now. And he, doesn't have a glor- he has a glorified body, so he's not going to be mad at me for talking about him, okay? So it's okay to talk about him. And you go up to him, and we called him Jelly Belly, and he would have been a good Santa Claus, we'll put it that way. And you'd ask him, how you doing? He would go, I'm barely here. He worked for us. I'm barely here. And I was thinking about him this morning that how often does that reflect the church? We're barely here. We're not producing fruit. We're just glad to be here. Notice those trees in verse 14. They're bringing forth fruit. Now, folks, look, if we're going to have a lasting legacy that influences generations after us, we're going to have to be more satisfied with bearing fruit than just being here. I'm thankful to be a part of Central Baptist Church. I'm so thankful you put up with me. I'm thankful that I put up with you too, okay? I'm thankful we get to be a part of this church and have the wonderful singing and the wonderful ministries of this church. But understand, we're called to be more than just here. We're called to do what verse 14 says, that we bring forth fruit. Now, why is that? Do you know it's our fruit that influences people? It's the fruit of your life that influences people. How do you know that? Well, think about the woman of the well in John chapter 4. Here's this woman. She was saved out of a wicked lifestyle. And what is the first thing she does? She gets saved, she runs into town and begins sharing Christ with others that are there. What does the Bible say in John 4? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. You know what he did? You know what she did? She went into the city and people could see the fruit in her life and the fruit of her life influenced others. Well, folks, this is the sad truth this morning. We wonder why our world is not being influenced by us. It's because we haven't been influenced by us. Our life has no fruit to show for what Christ or what we say Christ did in our life. We say he saved our soul. We say that old things are passed away, all things have become new, but our life says everything's still the same. And if we want to change this world and influence this world, we've got to have some produce, which means we've got to learn to produce, have some fruit in our life. 
Galatians chapter 5 spells it out. It's kind of like a whole fruit market. Verse 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I got those down pretty good. And then all of a sudden, he hits you in the face with long-suffering. In the last two years, we've been in some long-suffering, haven't we? Economy's long-suffering. I mean, our neighbors are long-suffering. It's tough. But hey, there's a fruit. You want to influence your neighbor? Be long-suffering. I've got a neighbor. He's got a dog. He loves to bark between the hours of 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how my flesh just, you feel that lava start coming up. I even put earplugs in my ears. I'm like, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to win my neighbor to Christ, but that dog's got to shut up. I got to get some sleep. Man, I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm suffering. I like sleep. And I'm sitting there and I'm suffering. I can't sleep and I'm getting so mad. You know, it's like a drippy, a drippy faucet. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And it just drives you nuts. Man, long suffering, you know. I could go over there and chew my neighbor out. I don't know how he don't hear it. I really don't know how he doesn't hear it. Because I hear it way down the street. And it's one of those obnoxious barks that's in a cadence. You know? He could at least mix it up and get a new song every once in a while. It's the same song every night from 11 to 5. My wife's over there. She must be right with God because she's over just sleeping good. Then I'm being tormented by my neighbor's dog. And I can just go over and say, man, you don't hear that? Listen, you got to shut that thing up. I, I mean, look, the devil's real. That little guy, red guy on your shoulder, I've come up with all kind of ways to kill his dog. I'm just being honest before the Lord, okay? You know you've done it before too. Probably people. I'm just talking about a dog. I'm sitting there, laying in bed, thinking about, you know, maybe I could, you know, put a deer target out in the yard, pretend like I'm shooting the deer target and just lift up a little. Oh, my bad, you know. I could just go over there and let him have it. But, oh, that's not good fruit. I'm not going to influence him very well. Do you know what influences people? Long-suffering. Long-suffering. You step on my toe and I punch you. Look, you expected that. That's what the natural man would do. But the spiritual man is going to forgive. Long-suffering. Galatians 5.23, it says gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance is self-control. Learning to control this stuff when the world's going crazy and you've got peace. You know what that is? That's fruit. And the Bible says in verse 14, they shall still forth, bring forth fruit in old age. And that fruit, do you know what it is? There's your witness. There's your influence. John chapter 15, Jesus said in verse 8, here it is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Notice he's equating fruit to the father and the fact that we are his followers. Fruit says a lot. Fruit is influential if we'll get to the place to where we're rooted so we can produce fruit. And then finally, look down real quickly, verse 15, and we'll be done. The Bible says, to show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, there's no unrighteousness in him. Now, what are we talking about this morning? God says, I want you to see these trees that are here. Here they are in their old age. They're still influential. They're still producing fruit. How did they get that? Number one, they had a priority. It was righteousness. Number two, verse 13 says they were planted. They found a place and made a stand. 
Verse 14, they're producing, they're fruit producers. But verse 15 really ties it all together. The Bible uses two words at the beginning of verse 15 you need to see. The Bible says to show, to show. You have a priority of righteousness, you stay planted, and you produce fruit. Why? Because those that last, number four, and I'm done, notice they prove. They prove. What are they proving? Well, to show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. I'm afraid that for too long we've possessed a lot or professed a lot, but we've proven very little. I want you to think about it. We've professed an awful lot. And we sing songs, and boy, there's so much good doctrine in our songs, and we profess, and we profess, and we profess. But how much have we proven? You see, if you want me to be influenced by you, I want you to prove that what you're talking about really works. I want you to do what verse 45 says. I want you to show. And we wonder why we're not influential. It's because we haven't proven what we preached. We haven't proven what we've preached. If we desire the world to believe it and be influenced by it, look, isn't it a fair question to see that we've been influenced by it as well? If we desire the world to, to change and become more like God, listen, I believe they have, we have a burden of proof to show that we've become more like God. But in yet this tree that's uprooted and blown away, it's not a very good uh, truth this morning that it's going to do what it says it's going to do. And we get blown about by every wind of doctrine. Trouble comes along. We get out of church. Somebody looks at it sideways. We leave church, go find another church, and we just keep hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping. Why? Because we are bell-bottom believers. We just move with every wind of doctrine. But if we would stay rooted, produce fruit, you know what we would do? Verse 15, we would show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. This is why Titus said, uh, Paul said in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now notice he says holding fast the faithful word. You know what that is? He's rooted. He's grounded. He's got a good grip. He ain't going nowhere. The Bible says that when we do that, we're able to what? Convince the gainsayers. I fear this morning we're living in a world that's not convinced. They're not convinced. They've heard us talk about it. They've heard us sing about it. They've read our T-shirts. They've seen our bracelets. They've seen our bumper stickers. But we've never proved what we say we believe. We've never shown them anything. And that's why they're not influenced. Do you know this is something that even Jesus said in John chapter 10? He gave us a pattern. He said in verse 37, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. This is Jesus. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But what did he go on to say? But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works. Can I ask you this in closing this morning? Can the world believe your works? I'm not talking about your words. Look, we can craft it to sound all eloquent, and we can make our doctrine sound sweet and palatable to their, to their heart and to their ears. But if they can't look at our life and see us living what we say that we profess, look, they can't believe our works. Now, they're not believing our words, that's for sure. But, buddy, it's hard to look at something and see it in their life and not be convinced that something's real. Remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah, by the power of God, rebuilt this wall, and even the enemies looked up at that wall, and they said, this is of God. God did that. 
Is there anything in your life this morning that they could point to and say, I can believe his works? I know what he says, I can believe his works. Now, what's it all about? Well, it's simple. It's all about influence. I'm thankful for the godly influence of our godly grandparents, that even years down the road, we still see fruit coming forth in our lives because of who they were. Now, there's a generation coming after us who needs us to influence them. They're not going to be influenced by us if, number one, we don't have a priority of our life of righteousness. If we don't get planted, if we don't learn how to produce fruit and then finally prove what we say we believe. Can I ask you this morning, how influential is your life? Will those coming behind you be able to point back to something you did or something you said that, number one, led them to Christ? Could your children or grandchildren follow your footprints and find their way to Christ and know Christ as their personal Savior? That's the greatest influence you could ever give them. They could follow your path and come to know Christ as their personal Savior. But number two, if you are saved here this morning, could your young people, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, could they be influenced by your testimony enough that they themselves have been convinced that all that you've told them about, it's more than just fairy tales and Bible stories. It's real because you've proven it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.